Remain standing, if you would, for the reading of the Word. This fall, we're in the book of 1 Peter. Our studies come from there, and today we have the very first part of the very first verse, 1 Peter. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then we have recorded there an episode in the life of Peter. Hear now the narrative from John's Gospel, chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. But none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. (laughs) 
The biographical data of scripture really show three dominant people. The gospels, of course, the life of Jesus Christ on earth, his death, burial, resurrection, and his post-resurrection appearances and his ascension. The letters fill in the meaning of the coming of Christ written all by the apostles. But along with the apostle Paul who dominates the second part of the book of Acts and the majority of the epistles of the New Testament, we have this man, Peter, who is spoken of more often in the gospels than any of the other of the disciples, as well as writing two of the epistles and dominating the first half of the book of Acts. The first chapters of Acts have to do with Peter as the prominent apostle. So when we come to his letter, which we'll study this fall, we look at authorship. This book claims to be written by Peter. I think the evidence shows that it indeed is a genuine epistle of this apostle. Peter was an interesting character. One of the things that characterized his life is you can see a tremendous amount of growth and development in Peter's life over those few years of the ministry of Jesus in the primitive church and its development. I think one of the key things that's found is found in Acts chapter four, where Peter, along with John, are hauled up before the tribunal of the Sanhedrin. Their crime is preaching and healing, specifically a lame man in the temple, preaching in the name of Jesus. And they've gotten in trouble before, but then they're called up again. And it's interesting that the leaders of this tribunal are specifically named. It's Annas and Caiaphas, and it's the very court that convicted and sentenced Jesus to death just a few weeks earlier. So now Peter is standing before the same group. I don't know how he can expect a different verdict. And when they insisted that Peter get probation instead of sentence. And the probation was, you're okay, but just don't ever speak in the name of Jesus again. And Peter says, we cannot help but speak of that which we have heard and seen. And that's the heartthrob of the gospel witness. If something has happened to you, if you've seen it with your own eyes, if you've handled it with your hands, if you've heard it with your ears, and all the empirical evidence has convinced you of its truthfulness, your conscience will only let you tell the story as you've witnessed it. And that's really the central thing. It says, Peter, an apostle, there in that very first opening phrase of the epistle, and that's what an apostle was. He was someone who was an eyewitness. 
of Christ Jesus, an eyewitness to the humanity of Christ. They knew him as the son of the carpenter of Nazareth, Joseph. But they also knew him in his majesty. They had beheld his glory. They knew Christ as the son of man and the son of God. And they couldn't help but tell the story. Peter had heard. Peter had seen. Here's some of the things that Peter heard. Peter heard the call of Jesus at the very beginning, come follow me. Come follow me. Now Peter was not a pauper. Peter was a middle class businessman. He had a family business along with his father and his brother Andrew and their cousins, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They owned boats, they owned nets, they had an enterprise on the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. They knew what they were doing. They were prosperous and successful fishermen. But the Bible says that when Peter heard the call of Christ, come, follow me, said he forsook all and followed Christ. He also heard Christ say that to save your life, you must lose it. He heard Christ say, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow the Lord. Peter understood what it meant to be a disciple and a follower of Christ. Peter heard a lot of things. He heard Jesus once ask, whom do men say that I am? And Peter gave the answer, the right answer. There were several suggested answers which were either wrong or partially correct, but the right answer was, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood did not tell you this. This gospel truth that you have just made, this profession of faith and confession of Christ is of divine origin. Peter knew that to be a disciple of Christ, it had to be the work of God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven has made it known. Peter understood that the call and the commitment and the daily life of a disciple of Jesus Christ was one that had been initiated by the Father, had been revealed and bestowed by grace upon him. Jesus took that confession and said, you're Peter, rock, that's what he meant. Jesus gave Peter his nickname. His, his real name was Simon. He was named after the great name of the Old Testament, Simon, Simeon. But Jesus gave him the name Peter, which in the Aramaic was Cephas. And that's how, that's what Paul called him, was Cephas. 
But he said, you're Peter, you're rock. But on this rock, this establishment of the confession, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter had heard the Lord talk about a divine mission and a divine program that had an outcome that would be worldwide, that would be eternal. The gospel would go to the four quarters of the, the earth and it would be for all mankind. Peter worked that out in his life. Understanding the gospel was not just for the Jews, but it was also for the Gentiles. And it was for everyone. There are no barriers to Christ. There's no racial barriers. There's no financial barriers. There's no social barriers. There's no mental barriers. The simplest person with the simplest mind can come to know the Lord. And Peter understood that that's the way it would be. Peter not only heard Christ, he saw Christ. That which he had seen and heard, he saw Christ. He saw Christ in his humanity. He saw Christ in his home. They were both from the North Country. Nazareth was up in the North Country. In Galilee, they were both Galileans. In fact, on one occasion, their accents gave them away. <laughs> their drawl, they could tell where they were from. They were not Judeans, they were Galileans. Peter knew Jesus in his humanity. A real man in real flesh, a real carpenter. But Peter had seen the Lord in his majesty. Peter was of the select few that was on the Mount of Transfiguration when the glory just a sliver of the glory of God rested upon Christ on the mountain. And they saw there the glory of God. Peter had not only seen Christ in his humanity, seen Christ in his majesty and his deity, but he had seen Christ walk on the water. He had seen Christ do multiple miracles especially healing. In fact, the Lord had healed Peter's mother-in-law very early in Jesus' ministry. Peter had come to know the Lord. He had become close to the Lord. He had been a disciple. He was with the Lord in a couple of those very strategic prayer meetings that you read about in the New Testament. You would think if there was a person anywhere that would be comfortable and confident and feel loved and be a part of the fellowship and the closeness with Jesus, it's Peter. And he was. Along with his cousins, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Peter, James and John are often spoken of as the inner circle of Christ. So it was not unusual for Peter at that supper to tell the Lord, no matter what these others do, I will remain faithful. I'm your closest one. 
And he meant it. It wasn't too many hours later, just a few short hours later, that he whipped out a sword and tried to protect the Lord's life by taking off the head of the servant of the high priest. Fortunately, Peter was a better fisherman than he was a swordsman, and he only got the ear. And the Lord healed Malchus' ear right on the spot as he was being betrayed. But something happened. The intimidation, the horror of it all. And when they bound Jesus there in the garden and took him in the dead of the night to an illegal court, the Sanhedrin assembled in the middle of the night to try Jesus. The Bible tells us that Peter began to slink back from following. The Lord had said, come follow me. And he begins to slink back and he gets further away and he followed the Lord afar off. He he could see the action up ahead, but he wasn't part of it. He was no longer at the Lord's side. He was no longer defending the Lord with the sword. He was moving back. And by the time they settled into the trial proceedings, Peter had found himself in the courtyard, warming his hands by the fire as Jesus was being tried before and false witnesses and all kinds of ridiculous things were being said about the Lord to try to trump up a case that the Sanhedrin then could bring before the Roman authorities, Pilate, and get Jesus condemned to death. Three times he was suspected by the people around that fire of maybe being part of Jesus' inner circle, maybe being one of Jesus' friends. He even talked like a Galilean. You, you know him. And three times he swore and denied it. Remember the Lord had told him just a few hours earlier that would happen. Before the rooster would crow, before the breaking of the dawn, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times you will deny me. And the Lord recognized this for exactly what it was. One of the, Paul says in one of his epistles, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. And the Lord was not ignorant of Satan's devices. And he knew that, that the first thing that the work needed to do was some of the key people like Peter to be shipwrecked from the very beginning. And so Satan, as the Lord had said that night, took Peter to sift him like wheat and to shake him out and to ruin him. And the Lord had said, I have prayed for you. The intercessory work of the Lord. He had prayed for Peter specifically. You know, Jesus still ever lives to make intercession for us, even this hour in heaven. He knows our frame. He knows how easy it is for us to fall. He knows we're not going to make it to the end. He knows our perseverance index is low, but he prays, he holds, and he keeps. Even on that horrible moment, the Lord gave a look to Peter. And Peter saw it. 
and he dropped his head. And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitter tears. Bitter tears are tears of abject remorse and sorrow and regret and guilt and shame. But the Bible tells us that weeping is for the night. Joy comes in the morning because the bitterness of bitter tears turn to repentance and repentance turns to forgiveness. That's what happened to Peter as we see in our text. What a horrible scene. Peter weeping bitterly. The Lord hanging on a cross. In the morning hours, dying for Peter's sin. Hanging there for your sin and my sin. Now, a whole lot of events have happened. The events of the burial, the resurrection, a lot of things we really don't have time to talk about today, but the story moves along and now the Lord is raised and he's appearing to the disciples in these post-resurrection appearances that we're familiar with that he makes himself known to them. And here's one of them and John records it. And it's out on the sea and Peter now, instead of his feet being turned to follow the Lord, he turns them back to his old profession. He had forsaken his nets to follow the Lord just a few years earlier, but now he returns to his nets. He returns to his enterprise. He goes back to his own will and his own way. His own plan for his own life. And the Lord appears and the scripture said this is the third time that Lord had made an appearance to a multiple group of disciples. And they're out there and you know the story of fishing and so forth and the Lord's on the seashore. But the Lord creates a scene that's reminiscent of a couple of things. First of all, he's up there on the lake of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee on the shore where Jesus in the middle of his ministry had fed 5,000 people right there on that shore. And he had used what? Fish and bread. And now the Lord is preparing fish. And he brings the disciples. And when Peter sees that it's the Lord, he doesn't try to walk on the water. He plunges into the water and makes it to the shore to be with Christ. His heart has been turned. The traction of the love of Christ had drawn him through those cold waters of that dark morning. He can't stay away from Christ. And when the Lord has changed your heart, you won't be able to either. You'll come to him. You will flee to him for mercy. You will come to him for succor. You will come to him for strength. You will come to him in your greatest hours. You'll come to him in your deepest, darkest hours. You won't be able to stay away. And that's the way Peter's heart was turned. Another thing that was kind of interesting about that 
meal, I think, the Bible goes into little detail that Jesus had built a fire and it was a charcoal fire. And he was cooking up the fish, frying the fish. It was also a place to warm your hands and to dry out. Peter was soaking wet and his outer cloak was soaking wet. And he had to, one more time, Peter had to hover around the fire. And just like three times, the last time he was hovered around the fire, he denied the Lord. This time, three times, the Lord asked him, do you love me? You have to use your little imagination, but I don't think Jesus asked those questions, bang, bang, bang. He might have, I don't know. This is, this is not Bible, this is just kind of sanctified speculation. I think he stretched it out over the whole morning. I think as they sat there and had fellowship and Jesus talked with them and taught with them and they came to know the Lord, I think he asked Peter and Peter said, oh Lord, you know I love you. And the Lord told him to tend the lambs, feed the lambs. And I think Peter, well, that settles that. <laughs> and then conversation goes along and the Lord turns again to Peter and said, do you love me? And Peter, well, I thought we covered that, but yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he tells him then to tend the sheep, giving him his pastoral responsibility that he would have the rest of his life. Then the third time when the Lord asked him, there's a little indication that there's some exasperation on the part of Peter. Lord, you know that I love you. Three times he had denied, three times the Lord enabled him gave him opportunity to affirm his love for the Lord. Oh, it's sweet to come back to Jesus. If you've ever been a believer for a long time and you've strayed and you've had sin in your life or maybe you've just sort of become cold and indifferent and you've moved away from the Lord, the sweetest moment of your life is when you shed those bitter tears and you come back. You meet him again. I know we're a Presbyterian church, we wouldn't dare do it, but there's something about an old Methodist altar call having the benches down here where you don't have a, any place to go but straight to the Lord on your knees, rededicating and consecrating and telling the Lord once again that you failed Him, but you love Him. And you love Him because He first loved you and He hung on that cross for you and He bids you come. And Jesus went right back to square one and said, Peter, follow me. 